We're going to go to 2 Peter today. I invite you to turn over there with me to chapter 3 of 2 Peter. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures with you today, you can find a copy in the pew in front of you. And again, we are in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start... Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do a little bit of an audible here. So we're going to start in verse 1. One quick thing I want to share before we go to God's Word is next Sunday, we are having a baptism service uh, during the morning worship time, during this 11 o'clock worship time. So if you have never been baptized and would like to be baptized, I encourage you, check that box on your connection card, or you can walk down during the invitation, or shoot us a text or email, or call us. This next week, the office will be closed on Wednesday and Thursday for Thanksgiving, but get in touch with us, and we would love to talk to you more about being a part of a, our baptism service next Sunday at the 11 o'clock worship time. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Peter says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of the Lord, in speed it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt and heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. This is a reading of God's Word. You may be seated. As you are seated, we do our Kingdom Kids ministry today. That is for children who have aged out of the nursery, four-year-olds, through second graders. And they will gather right over here with our Kingdom Kids workers. And this is a chance for them to learn and worship at their level right next door in the downstairs of our education building. That's where they're going to be. And parents, you can pick them up after the service today. And we just want to say a big thank you to our Kingdom Kids workers who do a great job with our kids. So thankful for them. 
And it's good to be reminded of the things we are thankful for, right? Because we are on the eve of Thanksgiving. And uh, sometimes it can feel a little forced, you know, the whole Hallmark calendar and all that kind of stuff. And I get that, but isn't it good to just be reminded together of the good things that God has done for us? In the book of James, we are told that every good gift comes from above. So every good thing that we have in our lives, we ought to give thanks to God for because ultimately he is the source of all good things. So in, in that vein, let's pray together. Let's thank God together. Would you pray with me? Father God, if we were to make a list, and that's probably not a bad idea, I think our list would be full of things for which we could give you thanks. And this morning, I am thankful for our church family, that we can gather on Sundays to learn, to grow, to encourage one another, to give, to serve. God, I'm thankful for our worship team who, who leads us every Sunday who prepares themselves that we might sing our hearts for you. For our Sunday school teachers and our audio-video folks and our staff, God, we're grateful. Grateful for our families. Grateful for your provision in, in the food that we have, the homes that we have, the clothes that we have. God, the list is long. We have so much to be thankful for. God, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful that you have decided long ago that you would give us your word in written form, that we could take it and read it. We could be encouraged by it. We could be challenged by it. We could be, as Peter says in his letter here, we could be reminded of things we already know, but we cannot forget. So God, through your word, through your spirit at work in us, we pray that you would speak. We pray that we would hear. That we would take in what you have to say. And with your help, we would be determined to live it out. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week I talked a little bit about movies. Today I want to talk a little bit about books. How many of you are readers? Raise your hand if you're a reader. You say, I read regularly. Lots of you. Okay, all right. How many of you uh, enjoy a good fiction novel? Anybody? I, I'll, I'll confess I enjoy fiction novels, but I have not read one in a very, very long time. I have to go kind of way back. I've been so in study and school mode for most of my adult life that I've, I've lost the joy of being able to read a good fiction book. I, I need to get that back, you know. But I remember in grade school, one of my favorite, um, it was a series of books. It was called Goosebumps. Anybody remember Goosebumps? Some of you? Okay. I still remember some of those Goosebump stories. I love those Goosebump books. And then they came out with a movie. I haven't seen the movie. I just feel like, it, how can it top all those wonderful books? You know, I'm, I'm going to be a book snob on that. I'm not, I'm not going to see the movie. I'm just going to hold on to the memories of Goosebumps. And the thing about that is, you know, like it, all these different books we can read, they, they, they kind of fit in different genres. And Goosebumps, if you don't know, that was like a, that was, it wasn't horror. It was too lightweight to be considered a horror book but it was it was like a scary suspense book and and you got all sorts of different kinds of books actions thrillers uh, a lot of what I read now is more like in the line of biographies I really love to read about people's lives in the past and in any good book you know the, the a good book has a story and the story is unfolding right it's progressing it's moving it's going somewhere and Peter reminds us in his letter to this to the church 
that, hey, this story that we're living, this story that God is creating, it's going somewhere. God has written out the end of the story. And we can know a little bit about it right here and right now. Now, from what we know from church history, Peter is sitting in jail because of his faith as he writes this letter. He acknowledges as much in the letter that he knows his time has come. God has revealed to him his time has come. Church history tells us that he was killed under the Roman uh, Emperor Nero. He requested to be crucified upside down. He did not have the luxury of being beheaded like Paul because he was not a Roman citizen like Paul. And so the capital uh, punishment for, for Peter was to be crucified. But he did not feel worthy to be crucified as his Lord and Savior Jesus was crucified. So he requested to be crucified upside down. It, it, it's hard to confirm those things. We just have heard that throughout uh, the last couple thousand years through church history that that's what happened to Peter. But the bigger point is, is he's writing this knowing that this is his last letter. He's writing this to, to his fellow Christians. He's trying to encourage them in the midst of persecution. He's trying to let them know, hey, listen, you know, as things go on, there are going to be people who try to tell you things that aren't true. There are going to be people who will tell you things that maybe you want to hear, but it doesn't mean just because you want to hear it that it's the truth. Remember the truth. God has given us his truth. He says to them that this is not something they made up, but this is something that was delivered to them. He reminds them that, hey, we were there when Jesus was baptized. Peter was one of the ones that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard the words of the Father, well done, my good and faithful son. He, he, he knew that this thing, this, this event, this, this coming of Jesus was real. He experienced it himself. And he points out in chapter 3 of 2 Peter... That there are going to be some people who will say, I don't know about all that, and I certainly don't believe that Jesus is coming again. Even in Peter's day, you know, just a few decades after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, even in Peter's day, people were saying, when's Jesus coming back? They said he was coming back. He said he was coming back. Where is he? He's not here yet, right? And 2,000 years later, we may wonder the same thing. God is telling a story. Towards the end of this history as we know it, history of earth as we know it, we were, we were told that Jesus coming back is a part of that chapter. And it hasn't happened yet. And we're waiting. And we're watching. I think there's two errors we can make as Christians as we continue to wait and watch just as they did in Peter's day. The first error is that we become anxiously obsessed with the waiting and the watching. We become overly concerned about the details of the coming of Christ. We begin to try to look for all the signs and try to put it all together. and We try to understand it in a way that the scriptures never tell us we can understand it. That's the first error, I think. We get really anxious. Or we become overly confident in what we think we can know. The, the second error is just as bad, if not worse. The second error is we can ignore it altogether. We can put it out of our mind. We can just live every day of our lives here on earth with no thought at all that this story is going somewhere. That God is writing a conclusion to the end of history as we know it before the dawn of a new era, the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, eternity. And we can ignore that fact that Christ has said he's coming again altogether. 
Between these two errors, becoming obsessed with it and worried or overconfident, or ignoring it and living as if it's not going to take place, there is a middle way, I think the way that Peter is trying to get across to his friends. He's saying to them, my time is short. I want to remind you of some things that are true. One of those things that is true is that Christ will come again. There are those in Peter's day that denied that. They didn't see that that was a reality. He said, where is this coming? And Peter reminds them that God is delaying his coming for one reason. God is delaying the coming of Christ so that more people can enter into the kingdom of God that will last forever. And I personally am glad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm personally am, am thankful that Jesus didn't return during Peter's day. That Jesus didn't just go up to heaven and then just come back down and say, hey, I am back. I'm thankful that he waited around because that means if, if you're a Christian, you're here today, you, you got in. That whole next, next heavens and, and earth, that, that new thing that God's going to do at, after the return of Christ, we're getting in on that. And, and I'm, I'm just super thankful that, that Jesus didn't return right away. That he is waiting. That more and more people have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus and respond to him. And it may be that you're one of those people that God is waiting on. God's got a chapter for you in your life, and he is waiting on you. He has brought you here even today that you might hear again, or perhaps for the first time, this good news about Jesus and give you a chance to respond to that good news. Maybe if you're someone you, you love, someone you care about, someone you pray often for, that they might come to faith in Christ so they get to be a part of that new heavens and that new earth. Maybe God's waiting for them. You know, we're up against Thanksgiving. Uh, we all know the experience of Thanksgiving. There's going to be some people you can't wait to see, right? And then there will be the others, right? Maybe God's waiting for them. Maybe even there's some people you don't really like. But God is delaying the return of Christ because he loves them. And he wants to see them be a part of this new heavens and this new earth. The Holy Spirit directed Peter to say this in his letter. And still it is true today that that the return of Christ is imminent. It's going to happen. We don't know when. But we know this. If it didn't happen today, it's because someone somewhere in the world today, God wanted to welcome into his family. And that might be me or you. Or that might be you. I'm already in. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone you know, someone you love. But Peter's point here is that this story is going somewhere. There is going to be a conclusion to it. And when you think ahead and you anticipate the conclusion, some things that, that we need to do as we wait. If we know that's the future and we know that's what's coming, we know that there's going to be a return of Jesus. There's some things that we are called to do and things that we are called to be while we wait because we are in a season of waiting. And what you do in a season of waiting can be transformative. 
And you and I, if you're a Christian, we're in that season of waiting to welcome the return of Christ. What do we do while we wait? Who are we becoming while we wait? There's something interesting that uh, Peter says here is he talks about how when Christ comes that there is going to be this incredible change. He talks about how the elements will melt away in the heat. He talks about how the heavens uh, are going to be destroyed by fire. Uh, I, I think this is a, a metaphorical way of saying that there is a transformation coming, a literal and physical transformation coming for the world and all that we see and know, including ourselves, that there is a transformation coming to prepare the heavens and the earth and our, even our own bodies for eternal glory. Because as it stands, the world, and we included in that, are stained by sin. We are not fit for eternal glory. This world is broken and in need of repair. You can read it one of two ways. One is that God is going to replace all that there is. God's going to just do away trash, earth, the heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun, all the galaxies out there. He's going to do away with the, the entire universe. And he's going to replace it with new stuff. You kind of get that idea when you first read through some of these things, including places like Revelation uh, 21 and 22. You kind of get this idea that God's going to replace but I think a better reading, and this is really where most scholars land, is that God's not going to replace the heavens and the earth. He's going to renew the heavens and the earth. That is going to be refined by fire. So that there can be a new heavens and earth. That's what I think is more clearly, or that's, I'm not going to say it's super clear, but I think that is more likely what scripture is teaching us. And when you think about who God is, isn't that who God is? Isn't God one who renews? That's what he has done in us. He has renewed us, made us new again. And so I think what Peter is teaching in other places in Scripture, like Romans 8 and Revelation, at the end of Revelation, is that this heavens and the heavens, current heavens and earth, they're going to be made new all over again, without the stain of sin, perfected for heaven and glory. And so Peter says, if you know that's where we're going, if you know there's going to be a new heavens and earth, is the way, uh, look at chapter 3, verse 13 ends, where righteousness dwells. In other words, where everything is right. And don't we long for that? Don't we wish for that? When we see wars and famine and disease moving throughout our world, don't, don't we long for all of it to be made right? Peter's saying that day is coming. That's where the story's going. This story is going somewhere. God has a plan. And the wrapping up of history here on earth and the beginning of a new heavens and earth will transpire at the return of Christ. He says, since you know that's what's going to happen, since you know that that is our future, Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And that's the big question for us. If we know this is where the story is going, who are we to be here and now? What are we going to do with our time here on earth? Christ may not return while we're still alive. 
But he's coming at some point. What are we going to do as we wait? Peter makes it clear that what he, since he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is what God expects of us. What ought we to do? Interestingly, he says, what kind of people ought you to be? And he says you ought to live holy and godly lives. Now, whenever I see something like that, and I'm reading the Bible, I want to understand it. I want to understand because he says holy and godly, and I think to myself, what's the difference between those two? Why would he say holy and godly when it seems like either one of them by themselves would be fine? But he uses both. And I read a bunch of commentaries, I studied it, and I still don't have a good answer for you. But I'm going to give you my best shot, all right? I'm just going to be honest with you, just give you my best shot at what I understand he's saying. Holy lives. We talked about this last week because this is a theme in 1 Peter, was that we are to be holy as God is holy. We just sang about the holiness of God. There is no one like God, and yet we are called to be holy like God. Holiness can be understood a number of ways. I want to point out or highlight the idea that holiness is to be set apart. And we talked about that uh, pretty extensively last week. To be holy is to live set apart. In other words, there's a way in which the world operates, and then there's the way in which the people of God ought to operate. And to be unholy is to not separate, to live the way the world lives. To be holy is to separate and to live a different kind of life than the rest of the world. And we never do that with a sense of arrogance because we're coming out of the world. We, we, are, we are made of flesh just like everyone else. We are prone to sin just like everyone else. The only difference is we are saved. We're not entirely better than. But thank God through Christ we are saved. And so we seek to live a holy life, a different kind of life. And the way uh, I was thinking about this is, is this is very much what Galatians talks about. Paul wrote in uh, Galatians chapter 5, he talked about the fruits of the Spirit, but he also talked about the acts of the flesh. And I think in some ways it might be helpful to think about if we are to be set apart from the world, what does it look like to be a part of the world to begin with? If we're going to leave that behind as we await the return of Christ, what are we leaving behind? And I think Paul said it best in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. You're welcome to turn over there with me. <clears throat> I am going to read it to you. But he says, that way of the world is the way of the flesh. It, it, it's living according to the flesh. It's doing what you want to do apart from the will of God. <clears throat> he says, let me tell you what that looks like. I'm going to read this list to you, okay? I'm going to give a few commentary notes here on it. It's all going to sound like I've heard that before. But as I thought about this, I thought, you know what Peter said in this letter? He said, I've told you this stuff before, but I'm going to tell it to you again. And that gave me a lot of comfort because I was like, these people know this stuff. But I'm going to tell it to you again. What is the world? What does it look like? What are we leaving behind? What are we separating from? If holiness is to be apart from, what are we parting from? He says, here's what the flesh looks like. It looks like sexual immorality. In that, you could include things like lust and adultery, 
Paul says the acts of the flesh looks like excessive indulgence, which could be drunkenness or, I hate, can I mention overeating at Thanksgiving? I mean, it just feels wrong. I feel like I shouldn't put that on you, you know, just uh, do, do with that what you will, but that would be included. He says the acts of the flesh, it looks like hatred, fits of rage. It looks like people who want to create discord, those who want to, to, to uh, dissent and create factions and cause divisions, and oftentimes through things like gossip and slander. He says the acts of the flesh, it, it, it looks like jealousy, always wishing you had what other people had. It looks like selfishness, focusing on myself and not on others. See, that's what we're leaving behind. And when you put it in a list like that, I think it's helpful because you get to see, like, yeah, I don't want that. That's not who I want to be. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit creates that desire to be holy, set apart from, different than. So you hear that and you say, yeah, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to be that person. But then it's not just about what we're separating from, but what are we marching towards? Who is it that we are to be? And I think in a way you could say, well, maybe that's what he's referring to when he says godly. Because he says live a holy and godly life. So what does it look like to live a godly life? Obviously in the word itself is God. You add the L-Y at the end and you get the idea, right? To be something like God. And when you read 2 Peter in the very first chapter, he talks about this, this divine nature that we get to participate in. Not that we are God, but that something of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in us and inspires us, encourages us, equips us to be like God, to be godly. So it's not just about leaving the world behind. It's about what we're becoming. It's not just what, what is in the rear view. It's also what's in front of us. Where are we going? Who are we called to be as we wait the return of Christ. Peter says we are to be godly. I think another way of saying that, going back to Galatians chapter 5, is we are to walk in the Spirit of God, to let the Spirit of God guide us and direct us. So what does it look like then to be led by the Spirit of God, to be godly? This is where I grab the guitar and I sing Fruits of the Spirit, Okay, y'all ready for that? Like, no, no, let's get to lunch. Okay, all right. Message received, but you can sing it in your head. I'll just read it. We read in Galatians 5, chapter, 20, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All things that avocados hold no light to. You have to know the song to get that. Google it when you get home. Then you'll understand. But this is godliness. This, this is what God looks like. This is who God is. Heading the list is love. Peter will say, above all else, love one another deeply for love covers a multitude of sins. Like that's, that's the headliner, right? That who are we to be? As we await the return of Christ, we are to be people of love. Why? Because that reflects God. God is a God of love. We're going to talk about that in 1 John next week. 
that that is who God is. His defining characteristic is that he is a God of love. So much so that John will say, as we see next week, that he is love. And that gets us back to the beginning. Why would God create us? To share his love for us. When we sin and fall short, why wouldn't God just scrap it and just get rid of us? Because he loves us. Why would God come into the world in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, and be near all of us sinners? Because he loves the same reason you're going to Thanksgiving with people you don't like. Because you love them. Even, even if you don't feel it, you're willing to act in love. God was willing to act in love and come into this world. Why would he be willing to suffer? Be falsely accused, misunderstood, spat on, unfairly tried crucified. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. Why would he, after all of that, if I got treated that way, I'd say, forget it. I'm not going back there. And Jesus says, I'm, I am coming back. Why would he come back? Love, because he loves us. Then why would he wait so long to come back? 2,000 years, we're still waiting. Why not come back sooner? Believe it or not, it's because he loves us. Because he wants more of us to be welcomed into his family. And maybe that's you. Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe you've already said yes. What do you do? Seek to live a life that reflects that love that Christ has shown you. This is what we do while we wait. This is who are we, we are to be while we wait. And I think one of the great outcomes of it is as we are holy, set apart, as we are godly, living by the Spirit, guess what? We are a billboard for the world to see. This is the God who loves us. And he's coming back. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father God, once again, we thank you for Peter in his life. Often well lived, but he was known to make some pretty major mistakes. <laughs> and yet he did not fear the return of Christ. Because he was known by you and loved by you. And I pray that every single one of us could say the same thing. That as you're writing the end of this story, and you've already got the chapters prepared for a new story, a new heavens, a new earth. That every one of us could say, I welcome the end of this story and can't wait for the beginning of a new one. Because I know that when Christ returns, I will be welcoming my Lord and my Savior. I pray every single one of us could say something like that. And if not, God, that your Holy Spirit would be working on them, even now, showing them that, yes, you wait for them. Because you love them. And they, they may know that love that you have for us that is shown so clearly through your Son, Jesus Christ. They would embrace him as their Lord and Savior, that their sins might be forgiven and their eternity secured. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with